My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 166 of Legally Clueless. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, welcome to the family. Join our nice, cozy little corners of the internet. On Instagram, we're at Legally Clueless Africa. On TikTok, we're at Legally Clueless Africa as well. <laughs> it's a bit of a tongue twister. And if you want to chit chat about the podcast on Twitter, just use the hashtag Legally Clueless. There's links to our social media platforms in the show notes. Another thing you should probably check out is our YouTube channel. There's two seasons of our video series. We've got amazing, inspiring African stories there. And of course, there's our tour series as well. So you watch us travel through Nairobi, Nakuru, Mombasa, Kisumu. Paris, Zimbabwe, and Dubai. So tons to watch on our YouTube channel. It's Legally Clueless and I've put a link to it in the show notes. So this episode is quite heavy and so nice and early. I just want to let you know that themes around grief and suicide will come up in this episode, which can be quite a trigger for some people. And if you can't handle such themes, you may want to give a pass on this episode from now. If you are still able to continue, here's a bit of the story that's coming up. He was struggling, drinking a lot. But all these things were very different from the person that I knew. Like he was my elder brother. So this one day, one of his friends calls and he's like, yeah, he's not doing well. I think you guys should come. So we went to see him. And so we have a conversation and he's like, he feels like my dad was like an umbrella for our family. And so it didn't matter whether the sun was there or it was raining. We were always covered. And since dad died, it's like someone came and just grabbed that that umbrella and threw it away in a place where we could never find it. And so since that's death, it's been raining and it's been raining really hard. On Saturday, he visited my other bro and they had a conversation and he was just saying he's tired. He's so tired. My brother doesn't show up. We are not able to call him. My other bro decides to go to his house. So goes to his house, um, finds the caretaker and the caretaker is like, ah, I saw him a couple of days ago, but I haven't seen him since. So my bro asks for a ladder, puts a ladder against the wall and like climbs to see whether like he's in. Yeah, and opens the window and finds him hanging. That is a story by Persis and we actually recorded it, I think last month early last month or late March, I'm not too sure. And she actually wrote in, filled out our storyteller form, and that's how we connected. So the story is coming up a little later in the episode, but if you have always wanted to share a story on this podcast, like she did, just in the show notes, click the Google form, fill it out, and we will get back to you. Something that's really good, though, is I've discovered a new band group, music group, yes. whose song is on Song of the Week in this episode. I actually only just discovered them on Friday. Well, a friend of mine had told me about them a while ago and then I forgot. And then he told me about them again on Friday. I was like, oh my God, yes, I really like them. And I'm currently just like going through their most recent album. But there's one song that I keep coming back to and it's called Made of Gold. So that's the song of the week this week. And the name of the music group, they're actually twins, is Ibei. Hope I'm pronouncing it right. But they're so cool. Like they're even just their music videos are so artistic, such interesting concepts. And they just, man, I 
Okay, listen to this song made of gold and I hope you like like it as much as I do. And again, their name is Ibei, so that's I-B-E-Y-I. Just in case you're listening on a platform that doesn't have show notes, just search that on YouTube, listen to Made of Gold. It's, it's quite a yummy song and it's got, if you like Erica but do-ish, actually not even Erica actually, if you just like music that is super artistic and makes you think and music videos that you kind of have to watch once twice thrice four times if you 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 like writing like I do poetry this is the song for you because like it will inspire like poetic themes and ideas it's that artistic I think you can tell I like it (laughs) I'm really trying to sell it here but yeah go check it out I hope you do too so before we jump into 100 African stories recording this story was very interesting for me because I recorded it at a time when on my end life had just gotten very hectic very noisy and I think I was just like desperately wanting peace and like everything to just kind of shut down you know those moments where you are looking forward to any moment to sleep so that's something that I do to escape which is unhealthy but I don't know man it's it's sometimes it's so hard to to regulate it but those moments when nighttime is kind of like your favorite time because for a couple of hours you get to get a break and then when you open your eyes and it's morning you're just like oh my god like I'm still here I still have to either show up while wrestling such difficult thoughts that's where I was at when I was recording the story and what is so crazy is in the moments when I'd break down I would constantly just be like I'm so tired I'm so tired I'm so tired and that comes up in in the story and I remember when recording it I was just like oh my goodness this is this is so similar to something I felt and it's it's so hectic to be in May because there was a point in March that I was not sure I'd make it through you know a particular week I think I've said this a couple of episodes back but yeah so it was a weekend and I, I wasn't sure I'd make it past Wednesday and it it was just a lot like life can really become a lot <laughs> I feel like it has for me it's weird because in those moments fear which is this emotion that we're told not to let win you know to be very cautious about and to kind of fight and reduce it it's weird that in those moments for me anyway fear ends up being a savior because I could have those really dark thoughts but you know there's this like overwhelming fear and it's kind of like the one time that fear becomes your savior fear and definitely my therapist because there are moments I've just had to reach out especially to my first therapist who I've been with longer just being like oh I'm not sure I can handle this I'm not sure I can get through the day there's even one so I was just like me I don't think I'm gonna make it to this hour like I I really need support but I'm still processing this I'm still navigating it which is why it's very hard for me to like in-depth share because I'm still navigating it and hopefully when I make it to the other side I can be able to to just kind of have a lot more clarity around it but yeah this I was really in the thick of things when recording this particular story that you're about to hear and it was just 
not even a coincidence. I don't know if it's like how the universe works. Like when you're going through things, it kind of connects you to things and stories that will help you go through it. But it was a very trippy moment when Persis was sharing the story and I was just like, Whoa. Almost like it was sent for me to hear in that moment. So as I mentioned earlier, there are themes of grief, suicide that come up in this story. And those those are some heavy triggering themes. And I just want you to kind of like in this moment, just pause and introspect and think about if those are themes you can interact with right now. And if you, you can't, then just like hit pause. Maybe one day you can come back to this episode. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. So my name is Passis Merab Abisa Ashes Mirimu. Sounds like a mouthful, but like each of the names has like a, a story behind them. Passis from Nairobi, Kenya. My dad was my friend and I think such a central part of our life. When I say our, that's my family. So my mom, my sister. So I have a sister who's eight years older than me. Um, I have had two brothers. One was six years older than me. The other is two years older than me. I'm the last one. Um, so growing up, my dad was such a presence. Like he's the person who, if you murdered someone, hopefully you don't, but if you murdered someone and you went to him and you're like, dad, like this happened, he'd listen to you and he'd be so supportive. Supportive in like walking the journey to get to a place where you do what you need to do. So he was that person. Um, I remember there's a time when we were in uni, my brother and I, my brother came up with this really bri- not brilliant idea um, to use fees for one of the courses. So I went to USIU and I think like one course was like a lot of money, a lot of money, tens of thousands. And so he decided let's use this money and turn it into cafe meals. So you could like use some of like your credit to eat food from the cafeteria. Um, so that then would mean that any money we received within the week would then be our cash to do university things with. So I felt really guilty about it, but I agreed because it was so tempting. So he then like converted, like he dropped one course and then that money was moved to his cafeteria bill. And we had a lot of not great meals, but they were great at the time through the semester. But I was so guilty about doing this that at some point I just went and told my dad. I was like, yeah, dad, so please don't get mad, but we have been (laughs) using your hard-earned money to eat a lot of meals. And his reaction was interesting. I still remember it. He was like, he's happy that I've told him. He's disappointed, but he's glad that I told him. Um, I can't remember what happened after that, but it was not anything like big enough for me to remember like he didn't react in a drastic way but I think that speaks to the kind of relationship that I had with him at one point we started a business so myself my brother um, and my dad and my sister um, were shareholders in this market research company and because my dad had an accounts finance background he came on as the finance director Mm -hmm. initially a silent director then later on like in the day-to-day running by this point like we were not uh, being very good clients to KRA and so he came and just like helped us clean the books and like move towards being a good company Um, and he did a lot of work there so this period um, found me at a time when I'd quit my job uh, my first job and so I was in the day-to-day running alongside my brother and we had about three four years of working together very closely and I think in my life that's the time when I got to really experience him well as an adult a lot of conversations driving home, him hijacking me over the weekends to like go home and like spend time with them and like finding some excuses to give uh, the husband just because, you know, 
our conversations were very feeling and very fulfilling. Um, we would go for lunch. By this time, he had his diabetes had become really bad. Um, so he had to like go on a very strict diet. Um, and so like we would have lunch somewhere in Westlands, you know, at a place where there's very healthy foods. And as we walked to the restaurant, he'd hold my hand. This is me at like 24, 25 years old. And it wasn't awkward. He would tell me he loves me. He would, he was very present as a friend and as a father. Um, he would question some of the decisions that I've made, but like have that conversation with me directly and not be reactive, you know, challenge my thinking. We had a lot of conversations around investment and he was just like, a, I think a force for good um, in my life, but also helped me build my character, my strength, and just who I am as a person. He made it okay to be a black female, to not be light-skinned, you know, in, in Nairobi. And I, I think a lot of my self-confidence and pride comes from experiencing life you know, with him. So I, I always think that the one lie that my dad told, he never lied. Like, he would be that person who just, like, tells it to you as it is and then, like, works with you through living through truth. The one lie that I think he, he told us or did not tell us was that he was not invincible. He was such a presence that he would always be there. To date, I still go through situations where I'm like, yeah, let me call dad and, like, tell him. And this is five years on. But in hindsight, my dad's side of the family has always had diabetes in one form or another, and it has led to complications where I've lost my grandmother over the same. I've lost a couple of uncles, um, some even before I was born, a couple of aunties, cousins, through the same. So I think it's something genetic. But because he, he lived his life so fully and so presently, I don't think any of us ever anticipated that he would ever die. And I feel that we always then thought of death as an if it happens or as something that happens to other people. I remember once watching, I think, Aching Obura, Aching Obura, Abura's story, and she was just talking about loss and how, like, she lost her whole family. And this was maybe, like, three, four years before my dad's death. And I felt very sad for her. Like, it was, like, a story that's, like, out there. Um, and, you know, I know friends who've lost their parents, but it was always, I'm so sorry for you, but, like, yeah, I have my family and, like, nothing can touch us. Um, so I knew my dad wasn't well. I knew his diabetes was getting worse. Um, and at one point, he decided that he wasn't going to continue on the very harsh medication that he was taking just because he felt like a lot of medication is meant to like almost kill you, like to sustain you and then like, you know, kill you in the end. And I think for the most part, that is true. Just thinking about like some of the things we know about pharmaceutical, that they build dependence. Mm -hmm. And so he tried to live healthier, eat healthy, work out more, work a lot more. He was very active. In 2017, I got a job in Mauritius. And so I was leaving to go to Mauritius and I went home and, you know, we had a conversation and he, you know, called myself and my, my siblings and my mom and we had a conversation about like what, what happens if like life changes because his health is not doing well. I don't think any of us like took any of what he was saying seriously. Our pictures from that time have all of us just smiling very weirdly and he has a very serious face. So I think he knew that his health wasn't great that it was getting really bad but he managed it for us mm -hmm. so i remember the last message that he sent me when i was going to mauritius was go with my heart and i don't have the me message in text but i still have it in my head go with my heart i'm confident that you will do well so yeah so i went to mauritius um we moved with my partner it was an exciting job beautiful location like exciting exciting colleagues and it was a fun time and we had conversations with my dad every two weeks between january and march 
about March. So he would call me, find out how things are, you know, tell me that his health is doing better. He was able to drive himself home on this one day. So all communication between myself and him had all the positive signs. Or maybe I was just like in my head and like didn't think that he was actually as sick because he'd never been admitted in our entire lives. He'd he was always just dad. But on the side, one of my brothers who lived very close to my mom and dad at the time kept sending us messages. Hey, dad's not doing well. We took him to hospital today. But those messages were very far removed from dad. Because when I speak to dad, like, yeah, I was able to drive home today. I, you know, I'm feeling a bit stronger. I'm feeling... It was always positive. So on beginning March... I got a message that dad was admitted in hospital and I was very sad. So I took a flight home and arrived on a Tuesday, I think. And he looked unwell, but he would recover like all, you know, all great dads do. We're in hospital and I'm speaking to him and he's like, ah, you shouldn't have come, but yeah, I'm happy you came. How's Mauritius? How's work? And he like jokes about like the beach and when him and mom are going to come down and usual conversations. But interestingly, there were a lot of friends and family who'd come to see him in hospital. So that's Tuesday. On Wednesday, we go back to hospital and he tells me at some point to go home and pick a set of documents that he has. So he was very organized and so he'd put, he always had things documented. Um, so he's like, yeah, go get this folder and inside you'll find this and this and this. So I'm like, okay, cool, I'll do it. I was feeling very, I think I'd always thought very selfishly that I was my dad's favorite just because of how I experienced him. And so this felt just like, you know, another of our conversations and yeah, that I'll get it. And then he takes a nap. 15 minutes later or maybe an hour, he's up and he's like, yeah, did you bring the document? In hindsight, I think he was starting to, he was really sick, that he couldn't even remember that we had just spoken. And so I'm like, ah, dad, but you like just told me today when I go home, I'll get it. By this point, I think like his, his health wasn't doing great. I don't think any of us expected it. Nobody like prepares you for the fact that like things can get hard very quickly. And so, yeah, so he, we, we go home and by that time there were so many people coming to the hospital. A lot of our friends, we were all very tired. Um, just from like handling people, worry about, you know, my dad. So we go home and I decided to switch off my mom's phone just so that she could sleep and sleep well. And the previous day, my dad had drunk some uji that we had brought to the hospital. So the plan was that the next morning we'd make more uji and take it since it was like the thing that he seemed to enjoy. And like you joke about it and like he drank it better than he was eating hospital food. Yeah, so we sleep in the morning. My mom wakes up and finds many, many missed calls from this one number. So she calls back the number. And I remember I was in the in her bedroom, um, in, in their bedroom with her. And it's a nurse on the other side. Is this you know, my mom's name. And my mom throws the phone away and just like falls to the ground. Now in hindsight, like I feel like we knew at that point. And so I was so scared. So what did I do? I called my sister because my sister is the one who like handles emergencies in the best way. So I'm like, no, Nelly, someone's calling. Please come and speak to, you know, whoever's on the phone. So she comes and um, the nurse is like, yeah, so dad didn't have a good night. Um, and so we want you guys to come to the hospital. And so we all just like, you know, get into the car and drive to Nairobi hospital. I remember, you know, one of my brothers uh, was driving and he was driving so badly. And like, we were fighting on the way. I'm like, if, if you keep driving like this, I'm going to get out and just take an Uber. Like, can you just, you know, get us there in one piece? And on the way, like we were talking about like my dad and happy stories and sad stories. And like, we we're scared. Like, what if he's died? What if, what if, what if? And we get to hospital finally. And so he'd been taken to the ICU. Apparently his organs failed. And so... He was rushed to the ICU, and so he'd been there since the previous night. And that's why they'd been calling. But because I'd switched off my mom's phone, mm -hmm. nobody was able to reach us. Um, so yeah, so we go in, and he looked like he was breathing so heavily, like so so strongly. Mm -hmm. 
So of course, invincible dad would be fine. And so like we were staring at him and like talking to the doctor and he's like on, on these machines, but he's breathing. Later on, did I realize that, did I only realize that he was breathing like this because he was on the machines that he was on. Um, and so at one point we pulled the nurse aside, my sister and I, and we're like, you know, like if we remove the machines, will dad leave? And she said, you know, to be honest, his organs had failed. And so even if we take the machines off, it's unlikely that he can support himself. And so it's just a matter of time before even his breathing stops, even with the machinery. Um, so it was just like a very confusing day. My Like more friends had come to the hospital, like the, we were at um, Nairobi Hospital and like the waiting area for the ICU, HDU, or ICU, I can't remember at this point, but like there were so many people. And of course we all just like were now like, taking care of everybody's emotion because that's what my dad had taught us to do, to care about other people, to ensure that they're fine. My mom was so scared. Um, I think we were all so scared. But something interesting was at this time, my elder brother had gone to Ghana. So he'd, I think he had some work in Ghana. So the day before he'd flown to Ghana. And so when my dad was now in HDU, I sent him a message and I'm like, hey, I, I think dad is not okay. I think either he's dead or he's going to die. And he said, I'm on a flight back. So he missed like this whole period. Um, I think the, he, he saw my dad as my dad was being driven to hospital by my other brother. And then he left. Mm. So he'd missed like a couple of days. But at that point, you don't think about how to break news. Like mm. I just told him because he was also my friend. So I'm like, just like, hey, Steve, you know, this is happening. Come. And I think he got to Nairobi by the end of that day. My dad died, was taken off the machinery because he'd stopped breathing at about 5.02 um, p.m. And that was announced as his time of death. And it was just very surreal. Like, it was strange. And I remember walking out of the HDU or ICU. I now can't remember which one it was. And there was this guard at the entrance. And she was trying to comfort me. And she was like, yeah, don't worry. Like, many of us have lived without fathers and mothers you'll be fine you see even me like i didn't have parents and now i'm here i'm doing this job and i was just like what is she talking about because it didn't hit me that like something big was happening yeah so we go home and people keep coming people keep coming and for the longest time it felt like dad would just like drive in or like he was somewhere and he would walk out at one point one of uh, our family friends asked my mom you know so like what do we do about whatever it was it was like, ah, just ask Andy. And now we laugh at it. But like, we, we really thought he was going to show up because he had always been there. Um, and him and my mom met when they were teenagers. So he had always really just been there and like helped us think through a lot of difficult things. He had been there for family events. Yeah, so we expected him to show up. And he didn't. <laughs> and he hasn't. But I think we were all riding on just the strength that he had imparted into us through life. So we did the funeral. We were also present. I remember my elder brother was just like doing everything. Um, so now we need to like figure where, which, you know, mortuary do we take him to? He was on it. He'd gone, like found a mortuary, come back. We were all doing things. We then went to Siaya, which is um, where we have our, our, our farm, and that's where we buried him. It was all just very surreal. And then we came back, and that's when we now started discovering what life is like without dad. And so I think we all bunched up as a family to support each other, to grieve together, to you know be wounded together. Home was such a place of comfort. Uh, my mom still laughs at us because as soon as we came back, my dad had wanted to paint the house. So we all just like painted the house. We like got painters. We were so busy doing the things. You know, you wanted to do, we were talking about projects, you know, talking about mom, how do you ensure mom is okay? We were just trying to be dad and to be dad for mom, to be dad for each other. I think what we didn't realize is that we would need to grieve alone. My uncle often says that when you grieve together in that way, it's like 
you have many wounds as i've been discussing but you have many wounds and you're trying to like heal the wounds together it can never work mm. like at one point there will need to be a separation so that like things can heal and people can heal so we were so wounded you know like meeting having conversations like laughing together remembering together just being with each other then i had to go back to mauritius so I went back to mauritius decided that hey i'm too far from home i need to go back and grieve with my other wounded peeps and so i had the opportunity to then move to rwanda um, through the same job so we moved you know my partner and i moved to rwanda and so it was easy for me to get home and back mm. and i was home a lot and like speaking to my mom a lot but something that comes to mind is that i think in kenyan culture and and i might use this very loosely when loss happens there are certain people who are allowed to who you're allowed to comfort so everybody was asking you know how's mom doing you know you meet people that you haven't met in a while oh so sorry i had how's mom doing i hope you guys are taking care of her so we all then focused on mom and we're all trying to be dad for mom <laughs> doing all the things and mom was grieving in her own way in a way that we would never understand and we had fights we had a lot of laughter a lot of crying together just because we were trying to be dad. But what that did to me is that then it made me very scared of loss. So when I'm not with the family, I'll just bury my head and do what I need to do to keep moving and to not lose anyone because like now I'm so scared of losing family. Let me just like give them all my love and like for the rest of the world it's like there's there's nothing. Like I have no energy, I have no time, I have no you know emotions for you guys. Um so yeah, so we just buried our heads and kept moving, you know, kept thinking about all these projects that dad had started and how we can move them forward. We weren't doing it successfully either, but I was away a lot of the time. So end of 2019 thereabouts i had come home so i would there's a project that i used to do in south africa every couple of weeks so i would come from mauritius rwanda like i would go to south africa and then stop by home and see mom um you know see my in-laws as well we'd spend some time with them my husband and i and then we would go back and so this one time i we stopped by home and i realized that my elder brother wasn't doing okay from a person who was so like such a a, a strong person he was really smart very logical in the way that he you know thought about things he'd been the one who'd you know started the company that my my dad my sister and my my brother you know had been shareholders of he'd been like the brains behind it so he wasn't doing well um by this point you know we'd wrapped up the company just because after dad's death we weren't able to like take care of it so his friends would send us calls calls for help um just because they they saw that he was struggling um drinking a lot not being a good friend to them but all these things were very different from the person that I knew like he was my elder brother like the one who like if you know I'm going out too much when I was younger he'd be like hey no now you need to stop that guy that you're looking at you know he's not a good guy can you please focus or you know whatever it was he was also really smart and we would have a lot of conversations my dad and him just like solving problems and i remember one of the things he told me that with death you can solve everything else but with death is the one thing that you cannot so like there's really no solution to it like you just have to go through it and find healing so yeah, so at this point because he was being so reckless with his life you know he'd been in an accident he wasn't doing well i struggled to understand what what he was dealing with and i knew he was sad but at that point i was like but we are all sad you know like we've all lost dad only thing is between when my dad died maybe after my dad died i then realized that everybody had such a special relationship with him and i was not the favorite like he just knew how to like share himself and turns out my brother also had a very deep relationship with dad so this one day one of his friends calls and he's like yeah he's not doing well i think you guys should come so we went to see him at his friend's um, place and he was surprised to see my mom and him my mom and my mom and I because he he 
I think was not doing well emotionally and he had been drinking it was just like not the place you want your mom to see you and so we go in and you know we have a conversation and he's like why have you guys come and I'm like we've come because we we know you're not doing well and we want to just know how can we help interestingly by this time I'd been reading a lot just about like mental health challenges emotional challenges and how you can support family members because I think I knew that he was probably struggling um emotionally mentally and that maybe he was taking my dad's death very heavily that he wasn't able to function as he had been and so we have a conversation and he's like he feels like my dad was like an umbrella for our family um and so it didn't matter whether the sun was there or it was raining we were always covered and since dad died it's like someone came and just grabbed that umbrella and threw it away in a place where we could never find it. And so since that death, it's been raining and it's been raining really hard. Um and he doesn't feel like he has any cover. And he was crying and he was just very distraught. So we had a long conversation. In hindsight, I feel like this conversation was a gift because we spent a lot of time. We talked about the business that we'd started. I apologized to him about a lot of the things that I had just like messed up on, you know, in our relationship. Very open conversation. Um yeah, so then we left and went home. Um this was on a Friday. On Saturday he visited my other bro and they had a conversation and he was just saying he's tired. He's so tired. So when my younger bro told me about this conversation, then I started chatting him. and i'm just like yeah so what are you going through are you thinking of suicide i've been doing a lot of reading and and so i i was feeling a bit more enlightened mm-hmm. just about like you know difficult matters and so yeah we had a conversation and it was like yeah sometimes it hurts and it hurts so much and it's not a pain that you can touch but it's always there i can't sleep i can't go out i can't do this i can't do this and i'm like yeah i don't know whether i know everything you're experiencing but i have been through moments where i have felt that kind of pain and i even reminded him this one time something happened in my life and he was so present and that time i was in such pain and he like forced me to drive so i drove from nairobi to kisumu and it forced me to like concentrate on the road and just be very present in something but also process my thoughts um so he, i remember reminded him that he had been there for me during that period where i had felt like this kind of pain that i had never expected to feel and we just had a conversation then the conversation died and i was like yeah maybe you can try this but you just know we are here for you we love you tell us what we need to do we'll help you know if we can so that was sunday maybe on tuesday one of his friends tells us that you know i was speaking to him and i couldn't find him like i could he was he stopped responding at a certain point in the morning and so i don't know that he's okay but he told me that you know if anything happens to him so there's this Mombasa County owes that company of ours money, a lot of money, and they still owe us to date. They haven't paid. We there's no we've not made any headway. Um so if you know Mombasa County pays this money, I want you this is what he's telling um the friend, I want you to come into my house, find the keys at this spot, get these documents and get the money for my mom. So the 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 friend was like, "Yeah, so that's the last conversation we had. I don't know whether he's okay." Um by this point I think I was also very emotionally tired just because it had been a couple of difficult days, difficult conversations with him. Um he'd been acting out also for a while before that. So like, okay, just like try find him. If you find him, like let us know because by this point I didn't even know where he was staying. So that's Tuesday. Wednesday I started just getting this uneasy feeling. So by this time my my mom, myself and my other brother were in Nairobi. Um I was here for a short trip from work. On Wednesday I I'm feeling very uneasy so I decided to meet my mom on Thursday and we were also meeting because there was like there's another court case. The government is doing a lot of things to us. But yeah, there's a court case that we were in court for. We were to go to to meet the lawyer and discuss over some land that um yeah, some land contention. Um so my brother 
was to come because he was just part of these conversations and he was very supportive. And so we had to meet to go see the lawyer. Then um, I was just hang out with my mom, maybe go back to go back home with her. My brother doesn't show up. He's not on phone. We are not we are not able to call him. But it's very strange that he's not come, you know, to the lawyers. So I meet my mom and I'm like, mom, so. You know, when someone gets lost, the law requires you to, like, report to the cops. So I think we should report to the cops. Because we tried speaking to my other brother, but I think we were all just, like, in that very scared space. Scared for him, not, one, you know, wondering what's happening. Maybe he's actually just, like, going to the coast and doesn't want anyone to reach him. Or, you know, because he would take a lot of trips. He loved to travel. So, yeah, so we are seated in Java um, with my mom after seeing the lawyer. And we're discussing what we should do. So the plan was that we'll go to the cops and then take the cops and like go to his house and just like see whether he's there. So because we had been having this conversation, I think my mom had also been messaging my other brother, A, like we need to find my Steve. And so my other bro decides to go to his house, gets his girlfriend and they drive to his house. They first go to the cops and the cops are like, no, you know, sometimes people, maybe they like one of his girlfriends is looking for him and they're just like those stories. So because he's an adult, let's give him some time. You go. See whether he's at home. If you find him, come back and tell us. Mm. So my bro decides to go to his house. Um, he lived along Gong Road. So goes to his house, um, finds the caretaker, and the caretaker is like, ah, I saw him a couple of days ago, but I haven't seen him since. So my bro asks for a ladder and puts a ladder against, he lived, I think, on first floor, puts a ladder against the, um, the wall and, like, climbs to see whether, like, he's in. Um, yeah, and opens the window and finds him hanging. And so at this point, my mom and I are Java in town, Still strategizing, you know, what we should do. And my sister calls me. My sister lives in Yala. And she says, Steve has hung himself. I was so confused. I don't think I've ever been that confused, even when my dad died. Like, we just ordered food. Um, I think by this time, the waitress was, like, putting glasses of something on the table. And my mom just started praying. I remember shaking so much. Like, my knees were literally, like, <laughs> banging against each other. So I'm like, who do I call? Who do I call? I'm like, mom, mom, like, what do we do? Do we leave the food? Do we pay? Do we? So then I called a family friend of ours who accompanied us to the courts, to, to the lawyers. The lawyer is actually by our courthouse. That's why I keep saying court. But yeah, he accompanied, accompanied us to the, to the lawyer to come and pick us from town. Because I was like, I don't even know where we are going. Mom, do you know where Steve lives? No. So... Then this guy comes, picks us up, and we call my other brother. I'm like, so where are you now? He's like, he's at, you know, this police station. Because he then had to go back and report. So we're now driving to the police station and crying. Like, this guy came and picked us up. Like, he's, he's an older man. Like, he's a family friend. And I just remember we were crying so much. I just told him, please come and pick us. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's like my dad's friend. But yeah, he came, picked us, and we drove to this police station. And we were just, like, crying, crying loudly <laughs> the whole way. Uh, we get to the police station. We were just crying the whole day. Get the police station, get the cops, go back to my brother's house. And then now we had to, like, break down the door. Something else I didn't know about cops. They don't like doing the hard work. And so when we get to the door, it was my brother and his friends who were breaking down the door. And for the longest time, I, I hated apartments just because of those brown doors. Because it always reminded me of how we just, like, broke through it. Um, yeah, so they broke down the door, went in. Went in. Yeah, and got him from there he was then like carried out i also really hate white duvets because he was wrapped in a white duvet and he's like the white duvet had like a red i hope it's not too graphic but had like a red blotch i think where his head was 
and that like gave me a lot of sleepless nights just like i felt so sad for him so i think he had died on tuesday when when he's he'd gone off whatsapp this was thursday when we were finding him and yeah then began nightmare too so another thing that nobody tells you is that people can actually die after the first person in your family dies and yeah we just go home we are so confused we cried a lot i think the shock of it was even more than my dad's death yeah and then like buried him next to my dad but in my head i kept thinking about people who die by suicide now i know like even saying you know someone committed suicide is not okay i did a lot of reading to just like try and understand what's going on and like how does someone get to that point if we knew he was getting to that point is there anything that we could have done if someone is struggling to the point where they don't want to live anymore how do you have that conversation how do you take yourself out of yourself so that you can actually listen to things that are very difficult yeah so like it it just was a weird space i don't think any of us ever like anticipated that we would then be going into his house to like clear out his things when he's not there because after my dad he was like the elder son so like he would be the one who we like reach out to to do things yeah so it was strange suicide is something that not many people understand or even have patience for and so i knew that i had to be very informed but also strong for my family i felt like i needed to be more than i had ever been so yeah so we did a lot of research we also spoke to a lot of professionals because i think we were in just such uncertain waters that none of us knew how to knew what to do and we were sad and we were still very sad but for me it's pushed me to want to have conversations about mental health about suicide to better understand how i can support others but also support myself to not get to that point when i experience heats i feel like my brother's death in a weird way so when we were younger we would go for like some religious conventions and the highlight of some of those religious conventions was just the fact that at lunch we would have a picnic and there would always be like sausage and like all these very nice things so what my brother and i would do because in the afternoon you don't want to sleep or be bored you would have like a piece of sausage in your pocket <laughs> and like you'd keep like pinching a piece and like putting it to the side of your mouth when mom is not looking i feel like that's the same with my brother's death it's so heavy it's so big it's big for me it's heavy for me it's heavy for my family and so he's i keep unpacking his death in the same way like i pick a little piece when i have when like you know i have the emotional strength and i bite it and just like unpack like a bit but i think it'll take us a very long time to unpack it and really appreciate what he went through before that day it hurts me that we weren't able to see it it hurts me that maybe there was nothing we could do it hurts me that we weren't able to support it hurts me that we were not informed but on the other side while with my dad's death i buried my head with my brother's death i'm now leaving because there's no other option death will happen and so what do i do before then i must leave and i must enjoy life and i must find relationships and people that are nourishing and fulfilling a building me because life is just so short and it will end either for me or for somebody else at some point and also having courage to step into the unknown even when failure is looming like for me i i see it as a journey of learning there's so much that we've learned about loss about death about mental health about suicide as a result of this different deaths for me it means i keep striving to live healthier to have better practices around well-being um money family and relationships and being very deliberate it's also meant that i have less less patience for relationships that are not serving serving me and serving the picture of wellness for myself and my loved ones that i have and i'm not saying that like with regards to like friends i've always been very deliberate about like 
I don't have too many friends, but I enjoy the friendships that I make and the ones that I that I have. But it could be things to do with work. So I recently resigned, and I resigned not because I'm not in a job that could potentially be be fulfilling, but just because it's a job that drains me more than builds me. The work that I do could be interesting, but in a different environment. And so I think it has pushed me to pursue those pieces and to learn and unlearn and to be not, you know, scared of hitting a block, to live boldly, have difficult conversations and allow those to, you know, help me discover other aspects of of life that I think I've been very blinded to for a long time. I think my relationship with God is has has moved to another level of just like discovery and understanding my relationship with my mom with my sister with my brother who's who has a very different personality from mine my other brother who's who's here and to appreciate those differences rather than like expect that people have the same perspective of life that i do and also just keep calm when things are outside of my control right now my mom is on an adventure on her own um she's away and has been for many months um my brother is is different He's a different brother than the one that I had before these two two losses. I realize that I'm also different, but I want to continue working towards being a good different or a different that I'm happy with. To keep building, to keep building me in the way that my dad had built me or had supported my my growth, you know, to the point that I lost him. Because I feel like between my dad's death and my brother's death, there was maybe a lull where I hoped that like, you know, what I'd gained, you know, for those 27 years would just like propel me for the next 27. And so I didn't do much work in that period. If anything, I just wanted to maintain status quo <laughs> and then death was like no <laughs> upset things in a way that none of us hadn't anticipated and so now i just want to discover and to learn and to grow and to do it gracefully the future is not scary at all and i like that it definitely has death somewhere but so you know does everybody else's future so i want to ex- to pursue and reaching conversations um, I want to pursue, you know, enriching projects. And so I'm starting out on a project that I hope will be enriching, but one that will definitely be fun mm-hmm. and help me discover a lot of things about myself, about the world around me and about the people around me while adding joy, you know, to their lives, which is something that I want to do a lot more of. And so in a few months, a few hopefully being very little, like in the next month and a half, I'm going to be opening a little artsy spot restaurant along Kiambu Road. The name will be Buki. Buki is my brother who is alive and who's living his life very deliberately or undeliberately, um, but having a good time while doing it. And so this will be a spot where you can come and just discover aspects of yourself that because of life or work or family, you could have deprioritized. Um, So there will be music, there will be delectable food experiences, a lot of tasting, which I'd want, you know, everybody to be a part of if they can, and just experience life. Breathe, because there's an outside garden spot. Enjoy the art that we'll have there, enjoy the outside, and add a bit more joy because I think we all need that. So it's going to be on Mushroom Road, off Kiambu Road, just a bit after Ridgeways um, and Tindigua. The launch is going to be early June, and yeah, so hoping to share that joy, you know, with, with a few more people um, than I currently have in my life. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. So there you have it. That is Persis' story and 
once, first and foremost, let me just start by saying once her restaurant is up and running, we're definitely going to be sharing, you know, their social media platforms with you so you can check it out. And I'm so thankful to her for sharing so openly about losses that she's gone through in life and even just like how the losses have changed her, what she's doing differently. I think that was those lessons she shared were super profound and I think it's it's quite something to still have the strength to read up on on suicide, read up on mental health or mental illness and just trying to know more so you can do better. I think it's one of those stories that kind of just reminds me how interventions like therapy need to be so much more accessible. So it's so hard to walk certain journeys alone therapy being as expensive as it is it's like i just i get so mad so mad hearing things like last year our government in kenya spent less than one percent of the budget on anything mental health we could easily make therapy free we could easily work on creating incentives so that we have more trained professionals across the country in terms of psychologists psychiatrists counselors like it's it's not rocket science to fix but we choose not to just really irks me i think another thing that i was reminded of when listening to the story is just like don't be those people that stigmatize those who are about things suicidal thoughts etc don't be like sometimes and I think this happened on Twitter like just coming across the most hurtful ignorant tweets on suicide and it's you know sometimes I'm like do you not empathize with somebody who's battling this coming across this tweet of yours like yeah so just don't be that person oh and when Persis talked about two things like don't center yourself in somebody else's pain and stories she she said something similar to that and when she also said many people are not patient enough to listen to somebody who's battling suicidal thoughts I was just like she definitely has introspected on this like that was something I paused on and I'm I'm thinking about not even in terms of my own experiences but just other people like have I been able to support as best I can is there more that I can do yeah it was it was quite insightful listening to her thoughts on everything and i hope you know you took something out of this this story this story is is so necessary it's it's just so necessary but speaking of stories if you want to share yours on this podcast all you have to do is in the show notes click the link to the google form fill it out and we'll get back to you in case you're listening on a platform that does not have show notes if you go to our instagram page which is Legally Clueless Africa, and click the link in our bio. You'll see the Google form there. Fill it in. I would love, 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 love to have you on this podcast. And it doesn't matter where in the world you are. We can record stories virtually. So yeah, they sat. Also remember that you can catch this podcast for those of you in Kenya on Trace Radio every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. And Fridays at 1 p.m. So head over to traceradio.co.ke for a list of all the frequencies that you can catch Trace on in Kenya. Thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. And in case you are battling suicidal thoughts, I'm sending you love. I'm sending you peace. I'm sending you strength. Let this be a sign to 
try keep fighting sometimes what i'm sending you is enough sometimes it's not i know that i just hope in this moment it's one of those times that it can help even just a little bit that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode